0: Several weeks ago, uh, my daughter Juliette and I went to the zoo together. We really like to go to the zoo, and um, it's not too far from our house. So uh, we set off, but this was after, if, uh, if those of you who may not know, or if you're not from, from here, you might not know about all of the things that have been happening at the zoo about a month ago. Um, so there were uh, the, the polar bears, uh, there's the whole new enclosure, right? And the polar bears had somehow chewed through uh, a little bit of the uh, tube so you can walk right now you're supposed to be able to walk through a tube and then you're surrounded by water and polar bears are swimming in the water but a polar bear actually chewed through part of the tube it wasn't like devastating as in like water everywhere but there was a leak so they were worried about that they had to drain the whole uh thing and um, now, you can still see the polar bears, but that part of the exhibit is obviously closed until they can repair it. I don't, it's opening in a couple of weeks, I think, again. Um, so, that had happened. Um, there was also a tiger who had been killed by two other tigers. Um, that happened about a week after they had to close down the polar bear exhibit. And um, what had happened is, I guess, they were moving the tigers into a new enclosure, and one of the zoo employees or whoever had left one of the gates unlocked between enclosures. So not out to people, thankfully, um, but, uh, but between the two enclosures. So one of the tigers opened up the, the gate, because tigers are very smart and can do things like that, um, opened up the gate and managed to get into the new enclosure where they weren't supposed to get those two tigers, attacked the one, and that tiger sadly died. Um, and this is wild. I mean, people saw this happen and things, and it was pretty traumatic for those who saw it. So anyway, uh, you know, we were talking about this in my family and, uh, I, you know, it's Friday, it's my day off, we're going to go to the zoo together. And so off we go and um, we're going into the the new exhibit area where the polar bears are and Juliet has been there before, no problem. um, But I guess she just heard us all talking about this. And so she won't go anywhere near the uh, enclosure. She's, you know, four and a half years old. And so, I mean, I think that's actually pretty smart, right? Like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Polar bears have chewed through something. Don't go near the the gates or whatever. So she wouldn't go there. I was trying to convince her, but she kind of looked from a distance. And uh, we still had fun. We kind of went around. And then as we started getting near the new tiger enclosure, again, she wouldn't go anywhere near the fence or the tiger enclosure. But as we came up to uh, that area, we suddenly heard growling. So And we just heard like kind of faintly, uh, this low kind of growl, I wonder if that's the tiger. So I walked up and kind of kept my eye on Juliet. didn't want to lose her or anything, so I walked up and, no, it's not these tigers, what is that? Um, I said, I wonder, do you think that might be the lion? The lion is actually on the other side of that enclosure and must be growling pretty loudly if we're hearing the lion. So we head around and we walk all the way around um, and you've got to come kind of back in the other way. And uh, there's another tiger there. So we went to see that tiger. Well, could it be this tiger that's growling? We went, and that tiger actually was growling a little bit, but it wasn't as deep. And that that doesn't doesn't quite sound like what we heard. And so we went over to the the lions, and sure enough, there was a school group there, and all the kids were maybe seven or eight years old, and they were all lined up. And there was uh, the male lion pacing back and forth, going, ah, ah." (laughs) And all these kids, Um, And it was actually, I mean I obviously can't do it, but it was, it was kind of scary. I mean, Juliet didn't, again, now we're like, there's no way we're going to (laughs) the line. So I had to pick her up, and we kind of went a few steps closer. And uh, and the lion keeps doing this, and at kind of every time he growls, some of the seven-year-old girls would kind of, oh, you know, and they were kind of scared. But the seven-year-old boys, of course, they loved it, and so they start growling back at the lion. And so now you've got this lion that goes, oh, and all these little boys went, oh. you know. Like they can't do the, the deep voice, and uh, and they keep going back and forth like this, and they and they're speeding up. Like the lion is actually playing along with these boys, so they speed up until you've got ah, ah, rah, ah. You know, like that. They're going along like this until I and I swear the lion, after this had happened for a little while, I swear the lion just kind of rolled his eyes at them, and just sort of went, you know, I'm done with this game. Like I enough of you. Um, but what I found interesting about that was, like, there was this depth to the to the growl, and it, I mean, he wasn't even close to roaring, but it was enough to scare a few of the people around. Like, even when I first heard it at close up, I was like, my heart just kind of <laughs> skipped a little bit. Like, it's not like I was terrified, but it's just like, whoa, you know, it's a bit of a surprise. And uh, as I was uh, thinking about what I might be speaking about today, um, which is actually based on a, a talk that I did with some youth in Calgary a couple of weeks ago. This experience came to mind and it reminded me of uh, C.S. Lewis's books about Narnia. And uh, one of the main characters is Aslan, who's a lion. And Aslan is basically... Uh, what C.S. Lewis has used the image for either God or, or Jesus in the book. And there's this conversation that happens, and you might have seen the movie, there's a couple of movies about the Narnia as well, um, but the movies, uh, like any movies, they mess with the, how the dialogue really is in the book. Um, they still have this, this line in the movie, but it's actually in the wrong place. Um, in the story, what happens is these children are in this fantasy world and they're meeting animals that can talk, and uh, they meet uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're having a conversation uh, with Mr. Beaver, and it's uh, Susan who's having this conversation with Mr. Beaver, and they're talking about Aslan, uh, this great one, Um, and Susan doesn't realize that Aslan is a lion, so she finally realizes it, because Mr. Beaver, in the course of the dialogue with her, says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, he says. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And I think that's such a perfect image for God. Because God has the ferocity of the lion, and he's not safe at all. But he is absolutely good. Scripture tells us um, that there is something to fearing God, the same way some of these children might have feared the lion, even when the lion wasn't even close to really acting as a lion could. And I'm just going to share with you some little bits of Scripture So this is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 19, verse 23, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Psalm 110, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 from the New Testament. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, and fear God. Now, I think we can get kind of uncomfortable with the idea of fearing God. And we've done all kinds of things to try to to mitigate against this translation of, of this particular word. We found it actually in the NRSV translation that we read at the end of the story about Jesus. It said, and they were in awe of him, but the actual word is, and they were afraid of him. Because we kind of don't like this idea of fear. We want to turn it into reverence or awe. And there are definitely places in scripture where that is an appropriate substitution. But there's something else in these verses about fearing God that I'm not sure reverence and all can't <coughs> do it. And the reason I think that is because as you look at other biblical stories of when people encounter God or have some kind of divine experience where they maybe see angels or something like that. What ends up happening inevitably is that the people are, who are in those experiences are absolutely terrified of what is going on. And uh, we know the stories, but we just kind of gloss over them. I mean, one of the most famous ones is the Christmas story. And it's all lovely and wonderful, isn't it? And the shepherds are in the field, abiding, and they see the, the heavenly chorus. Isn't it wonderful? What's the first thing the angel says to them? Fear not. Why does the angel say that to them? Because they're scared out of their minds, right? They, like, imagine seeing what they're seeing. It's not just a nice thing that the angel is saying, oh, fear not, isn't it wonderful, I'm here. <laughs> you know, it's because they're scared. You don't say fear not unless someone's actually scared. And each time we find these encounters in scripture, uh, we find this, this terror of the holy and the divine. And I don't know, we're not that comfortable with the reading from Revelation, I think, gives us a, a really good picture of this because it, there's such descriptive uh, and metaphorical language that's used. So I'm going to read part of that again. Um, it's a vision that, that John is having, and he's seeing Jesus. And he's clothed with a, with a long robe, he's got a golden sash across his chest. It says that his hair uh, was as white wool, white as snow. But then listen to the rest of the description. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. Have you ever looked at the sun when it's shining with full force? I hope you haven't. You're not supposed to. We teach little kids that don't do that. You'll fry your eyeballs or whatever it is that's (laughs) gonna happen. And what does John say? He says, When I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. Really? I mean this is this is what a friend we have in Jesus how we're supposed to encounter Jesus? When I saw him, I, I was dead. Our other reading, uh, to me, is an interesting one. It's uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 37 to 41 is what we heard. And it's another story. Last week we heard about um, Jesus walking on water and, uh, and Peter trying to walk out to him, Jesus rescuing him, and to not fear the things around us, as Peter did. This is another story about being on the water. And this time, uh, they are in a boat, and there's a furious squall that comes up, which is just a a storm, basically, that comes out of nowhere. And Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the boat. And all the disciples are obviously worried about the storm, and they wake him up, and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and he said to them, quiet, be still. And then it says, the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this is where, if you look at other translations, like in the NIV translation, it says this, Our said, and they were in awe of him. Uh, that was the NRSV. The NIV, New International Translation, says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Notice when they're afraid. Actually, the text doesn't tell us at all that they were afraid of the squall. The <laughs> they're afraid when they see what Jesus can do and his command over the wind and the waves. And how often do we treat Jesus like the disciples treat Jesus in this story? When things go wrong in our lives, we kind of feel like Jesus is asleep in the boat. Jesus, wake up! Why are you letting stuff like this happen to me? What's wrong with you? And we forget that he's the Jesus who can completely calm the waters. And in fact, when when we remember that he's that Jesus, we actually kind of get scared of that Jesus because we'd rather him be the Jesus in the boat just responding to our complaint and fixing whatever little problem we have rather than be the Jesus who can do pretty much whatever he wants. We want him to be at our beck and call. The disciples were annoyed that he didn't care that they drowned, but they were terrified when they could see what he could do. It's kind of, a, a, it can be a scary thought to trust in God. It's, it's God and Jesus that has got you. Like, you really are in his hands and at his mercy. The disciples fear Jesus by the end, I think, because they are starting to see who he really is. And I think some of that fear can be healthy, actually. We kind of need to get to that point of, of being a little bit afraid. Maybe not a little bit, actually. Because an encounter with God is scary. It's, it could be terrifying. And we need to keep in mind that the biblical texts tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want you to notice that it does not say the fear of the Lord is all wisdom, or the end of wisdom, but the beginning of it. Because God is going to do something. See, the fear of God kind of gives us an accurate picture of who God really is. We will be way bigger fans of saying things like God is love. And that's absolutely true. But if we forget who God is, then the statement God is love doesn't actually mean very much. It just means, well, you know, I guess God is something that loves us or someone that I suppose loves us. But when you have the fear of the Lord, you start to see the God who is is amazing and sometimes terrible and ferocious and has control over all things and can calm the storm, the God who is the lion, is love, suddenly we have a picture of this God who is just beyond and huge and grand, who loves us dearly. The, The end of the Revelation text, right? So, when I saw him, I fell flat at his feet as though dead. But what happens? But he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever. So he sees this this Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth. And he's terrified. It's actually the right response. We should be terrified. And when we're in that moment of fear of God, that is when God comes alongside us. And says, I love you. Don't be afraid. Right? So the same as the shepherds in the field. They see this amazing thing. Whoa, what is this? And they get a glimpse into who God really is. And it's terrifying. Angels immediately say, fear not. I, mean, I read you about six scripture readings that talk about fearing the Lord, and there are others, but there are countless others as well that talk about do not fear. For I'm with you. So we, we kind of have to hold these things in tension with one another. We've got the fear of the Lord, and, and leading to kind of a correct understanding of who God is. Without that, we start to kind of domesticate God. That God is at our, at our call. God will do what we want. But if we have that healthy fear of God, then when he does things that are kind and generous and gracious toward us, we're amazed and surprised. Because it's the God of the universe that has taken the time to come to just me as an individual. And do something like that caring for me. The fear of God helps us know God as God. Lots of us don't think of God as actually God. It's sort of, well, on Sundays for an hour, God can be somebody we sing to. But throughout the rest of my week, other things are actually my God. Fear of God helps us to know God as actually God, the one above and over all. And we kind of need that in order to really grasp the depth of God's love for us because it's revolutionary to know that God is transcendent and huge and is love. That God accepts you and it is God's choice to do so to love you. So let's uh, fear the Lord and have the beginning of wisdom. But certainly let's not stay there let's allow God to move us from there into a more full wisdom where we fear and know that we are loved at the same time. Amen.